On this episode of Resi Week, we talk Snap One acquiring Paracel and Oro suspends business operations. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 352, Meeting Qualifiers. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. And by Crestron. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Katie McGregor Bennett. She's the president of KMB Communications. How are you doing, Katie? No, Matt, I'm doing I'm doing great. Thanks so much for the invite. Happy Halloween. Yeah, it is Halloween today. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I, I was in Home Depot today, and there was a bunch of grown adults dressed up, which always gives me pause. Um, and on that note, uh, then we have Mr. Henry Clifford. He's the president of Livewire. And the co-founder of Paracel. How are you doing, Henry? Matt, I'm great. Happy Halloween. It's great to be with you. Good to see you, Katie. You as well. Um, I, I did notice that none of you dressed up. Whoa. I mean, yeah. you dressed up as yourself. It's it's a throwback costume for Henry. Wink, yeah. wink, nudge, yeah. nudge. Yeah. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> All right. What she's alluding to is a story that comes to us from aviation.com. Com, or sorry, aviation.tv. It's our own website and I got it wrong. Uh, Snap One has acquired the leading remote support subscription service, Paracel. That's the one that the aforementioned one that Henry founded. Snap has announced the acquisition uh, after, I think it was about a year ago, they invested into the platform uh, directly. Uh, if you don't know Paracel, one, you should, uh, but two, it is a, a wonderful remote support system that's based kind of on overseer and, uh, you can use it to support your clients. So you don't have to until they actually need you. So Henry, I, I, I want to start with you on this cause well, you're kind of the focus of this one. Um, what does this mean going forward for Paracel for Paracel clients, as far as dealers and for end users? Um, with the with the acquisition by Snap, yeah, it's great, and I'm, I think the the first message we're sort of delivering is this is kind of kind of good news, great news, and and really nothing's changing from a day to day perspective. So I got great partners. So my fellow co founders, Greg Simmons with Eagle Century, he works for Snap One already as outreach uh, outreach champion with with Snap One. My partner, Ted, uh, runs the day-to-day at Paracel. So none of that really changes. It's just really an exciting opportunity now to sort of fold uh, Paracel into sort of the Snap One multiverse and really pour some gasoline on top of what we've already done over the last sort of four or five years, which is build this thing into a place where we've got 500 plus dealers around the world and thousands and thousands of homes and businesses we support. So this is just nothing but great news for the industry. Nothing changes. Uh, we're still supporting the same way we did. We're still hiring integrators to uh, staff 
our call centers, it's always been sort of four, four integrators, by integrators. It'll continue uh, that way. We'll continue supporting non-SNAP1 brands. So uh, all of the, uh, all the things that made uh, Paracel successful will continue on. And so we, we just couldn't be any more excited about it. And it's a really great move. I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. That's fantastic. Katie, what does this mean for kind of the support picture in general? Uh, Henry mentioned that they have over 500 dealers right now uh, that are that are working with Paracel. Obviously, we know the community is significantly larger than that. Uh, and, and the Snap community uh, being of itself is significantly larger than that. Does this raise awareness? Does this become, you know, one of those tiers that that Snap dealers just kind of roll into? I don't want to say automatically, but a, a little bit easier. No, I, you know, I think outside perspective, obviously looking in, as I, you know, I think it's it's a it's a beautiful marriage. Um, you know, I think we probably saw the indicators to this, as the article alludes to, and the fact that there was an investment in twenty one that complemented the acquisition of Access Networks, who we work with on the KMB side. So, not to say that we saw this coming, but it definitely was. You know, there's it, this marriage has been sort of forming seemingly behind the scenes for for a few years now. I think as we're looking at sort of the, the state of the industry today and the state of of things to come. It, one of the things that we're going to continue to fight for the foreseeable future is skilled labor shortage, right? And having technicians and support in place to be able to provide the type of support that these systems that we're installing and, and as they continue to advance and evolve, that support is only going to increase. So finding ways to make to to, to make that um, not necessarily a manned <laughs> a, a, a manned event every time and to have the have have systems and products in place. To, to do that um, remotely is going to in, will continue to provide a lot of advantage and benefit to the integration community at any time. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of time saving um, and streamlining operations. So I think that this just points to the fact that the industry has matured in the networking category in such a way that we now realize the, the, the best way forward, or at least the most effective and efficient way forward for the masses. Obviously, there are going to be integration firms who are still going to do their own thing or going to go with another provider. And that you know, is certainly fine. I mean, you, you know, you, you know your business and what it what it needs. But, you know, if you're, if you're like the majority of the industry where you are strapped for time um, and don't have all of the resources at, at your fingertips that you need to support the business that you have and that you want, having things like this and having mergers and acquisitions take place that, that simplify the process and shorten the timeline to execution is, is beautiful. So long-winded way of saying, you know, I, I think it is a beautiful marriage and I think that, you know, it's only upside potential here for, for the industry. Um, you know, and I think it's just, you know, great brands coming together, continuing to come together under that snap one umbrella. Um, the multiverse, Henry, that was, a, that was a great way of putting it <laughs> under the snap in the, into the snap one multiverse you go. Um, but you know, it's the, the brand is evolving and, and kind of crushing it. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, that is very, very true. All right, let's change topics for a moment. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today. Oro suspends manufacturing and business operations in uh, in an email to both press and dealers and posted online and littering through uh, the Facebook forums and all the other things out there. Uh, a letter from the CEO stated that the four-year-old smart lighting startup was going into a, kind of a pause, I guess, is the best way to say it. They are no longer manufacturing or distributing at the moment for the, for the next six months. Um, they've committed to a minimum of six months of ongoing support. After that fact, if, if nothing else changes, um, 
some of their integrations and other things may start to not work anymore. Um, and again, read the article, read the uh, read the letter from from the CEO uh, Colin Billings. <clears throat> Uh, essentially what what seemed to have happened with oro is they had a had some financing that had pulled out uh, a couple months ago and in working to uh you know replace that funding that that didn't happen uh to the point where they were expecting it to and thus this is where we are today now uh, just before we we go to the panel on this um i will say i i've been back and forth with uh patrick gall from oro uh, they're, they're head of media relations or PR, I should say, um, quite a few times on this because it's it's an interesting story to me. It's also I've got uh, some of their 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 dimmers in my house. We're doing a long or we had been doing um, a long term demo uh, with with the product. And, you know, their goal is to find additional funding so that they you know, just kick everything back up and, and, and keep running. Um, and since that letter has gone out, they've had more talks about that. So that that's a that's an added, I don't want to say a wrinkle, um, but that's a that's a glimmer of hope for Oro and anyone who's who's jumped on board with Oro. Katie, let me let me start with you on this one. What does this type of letter uh, and an announcement mean for for Oro as as the company? Oro dealers and then Oro end users, and, and and I, just before you answer, I, I do want to applaud. I, typically, when we see a company shut down, it's literally a like a press release, and they're suspending immediately, and everything's over now. The way they've gone about this has been very upfront, which I I think is really awesome. Again, it's a terrible situation, but they've been very upfront about it. So, so what does it mean for Oro for their dealers and for their customers? So, so I haven't had the same conversations that you've had. So everything I have is outside looking, looking in. So, um, and, and therefore opinion-based, not fact-based. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> to your point, I, I commend the, the Oro team on, on getting in front of the news and, and giving some timeline to this. That isn't a, as of midnight Oh one, your host um because it's all too often that is how how we are notified of these things and then it's up to mm -hmm. the individual to react respond and recover on behalf of the brand that just shut its doors and, and kind of break a whole bunch of product out in the field um so i think that there's there's the the big takeaway just from a brand perspective is this is this is absolutely the way to do it when you when you can do it i think what's most notable in this is the transparency of the company you know that's 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 a big deal, right? And and the younger generation and those coming up into their professional career are watching brands. Um, you know, I wrote about this for Residential Systems earlier this year. Be a brand to, to believe in. Mm -hmm. Oro has presented itself as a brand to believe in, and now you know. I think honestly, like sort of, you know, you're kind of rallying behind them too. As I hope they make it, they hope they make it right. Um, and and so I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of positive strategy in in doing that. But more importantly, it's just not putting an integration community that you've just warmed up onto a product and, and doing business the way that you and, and yours intend to, warming them up to that and then just shutting the door and, and leaving them out in the cold, you'll never get that integration community back, right? So this way of just mm -hmm. saying, hey, look, you know, we've run into some problems, we realize it, we're going to just pause. I think just by simply putting it into that perspective, you're not turning off the buyer 
Um, and you're also not necessarily putting them in a horrible position because you haven't stopped answering the phones. You've done, you know, all of this, the, theoretically, the support behind just to mm -hmm. get, you know, out of today's conundrum um, is, is good. And I really, I do wish that more brands could do it. It is a very special situation. There's, you know, a lot of times it's just, isn't possible when you, you know, when you've got a publicly traded company or you've got investors behind and that decision is made, it typically isn't made of, yes, but we'll go ahead and continue losing money for another 90 days. It's, we're not going to lose another penny. So as of midnight yeah. 01, it's done. Right. Um, but there's obviously, there's a lot of conversation that goes up to that, to that decision being made. And, and so, you know, I just come back and I'll close on that, that transparency thing. And I think from a brand perspective is a very, very, very wise move because it doesn't turn the audience off to what might possibly happen down the road if they're able to turn this around, right? Had they taken the other route, the more typical route, eh, hell no, we won't go. <laughs> yeah. No one's gonna, you know, no one's gonna get behind a brand that does that again, unless they're really convinced um, and that takes money. So, um, you know, I think I, they've done a really good job. I hope that they can pull, pull, pull it off. Um, but you know, time will tell. What is your recommendation or your advice to integrators that have gotten on board and have, have product in the field and they've got customers who, again, maybe they're just using it as a light switch right now, but maybe they're controlling their Sonos. Maybe it's their primary, you know, intercom. Maybe it's like... It, it has some really good integrations that a lot of people are trying to use. And six months from uh, sometime last week, those integrations may not function. What, what's, what's the best role for the integrator to do? Oof. So, so I'm going to jump in and out of this one quickly and hop data over to Henry. Uh, <laughs> cause, cause it, it's a, that's a, that's a tricky one, but I think, you know, take what I was saying about the brand here and being transparent, being forthright and getting, having the conversation quickly. So I think on behalf of the integrator who's bought and installed on behalf of their client, you get in, get in touch with Aura, which I'm assuming one still can do it. That may be easier mm -hmm. said than done. I, you know, I, I don't know, but really get to understand your specific situation for those installations that you have and you know based on what they know today they should be able to provide an answer but if you don't pursue having that conversation you're sort of setting yourself up for for potential big failure failure right mm -hmm. um, I'm just I, I'm just a big advocate of you know getting getting in front of the conversation and and, and and using that extra runway to solve the problem so you know if if the answer that you get from Oro for your particular installation doesn't put you at ease, then you need to make a different decision and, and things need to go into play now. But if you talk to them and then they give you an answer that sounds right for your, for that particular installation in that situation, then, you know, the, the team player in me says, give them a shot. You know, yeah. if everybody bails out right now, that's, that's certainly going to, um, precede the conclusion that that may or may not already exist. Right. So, yeah. um, but if, but if it's still right for the situation as it is, is today, and, and you have a client who accepts and understands that tomorrow may be a, a different result, um, you know, I think you need to have that conversation with Oro and then obviously be just as transparent with your clientele, let them know what's going on. It's out of your, totally out of your control. So you shouldn't be held accountable, but if you don't say anything and you're not communicating, then you absolutely should be held accountable. So oh, we know um, that's not how that works. We're all I know, right, right. So here's that hot potato. <laughs> Henry, help. You sold me this piece <laughs> of junk. Henry, I, I, I do want you to touch on that, um, from, from the integrator side of, of, of how do you. How do you have that conversation with your client? Not just about Oro, but but kind of the broader aspect of this, right? It's a startup brand. They've got a really cool product. So you jump on board. The downside of jumping on board with a really cool product 
is this happens more often than we'd like to think. Or, or worse, that cool product gets purchased by a larger company who runs it for a year or two years and then they fold it. And like I had a conversation uh, last week with a potential client over the fact that universal remotes don't exist anymore. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we have a whole, like we have two lines that we can sell you. And she's like, nope, they don't exist because she read about Logitech shutting down. And that's the only one she's ever heard of. And thus they don't exist. How do we go about not only communicating these concerns with, with our clients, but as business owners, how do we go about evaluating and determining when to bring on that fancy new product? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I think we're, we all tend to be from Missouri to some extent in the CI world where, you know, Missouri is the show me state where we, we just, we like to learn our lessons the hard way. I'm not going to delude myself into thinking that anybody's going to just take our word for it, that they're just going to go ahead and learn the hard way, which is fine. It's just, that's how we did it. I, I think after maybe two or three bouts of shiny object syndrome, I, I hopefully there's kind of a process that sets in of saying, okay, and this, by the way, this comes from IT or this comes, there's a bunch of industries that, oh yeah. Have existed well before the we existed. Construction does this. Oh yeah, because anytime there's a new shiny object, uh, you go talk to any IT manager, they will tell you they don't touch you know a, a published update or any bug fix or any anything like that. Usually for like six months or something. Like they'll just sit and they'll kind of wait for the bodies to sort of start float by you know down river. So. Um, that and that sort of conservative approach, uh, and I, I sound I probably sound very boring, but boring um, actually is is something that, like makes for a peaceful you know day to day. So with something like, especially something that's going in the wall or something that's getting built in, um, we really think long and hard about that. Like what like what's this company? Are they are they solid? Do they have good financials? What's their revenue model? Is there something free associated with it? If it's free, we're probably the product. I'm thinking about uh, sort of evolutions like you were just talking about. You know, Amazon acquired Eero. Um, Logitech stops making the Harmony Remote. And so at the end of the day, I mean, we have a bias generally towards fairly high margin products, especially when they're built in, that are fairly well-established in the space. Uh, but, you know, there every now and again, yeah, there comes along cool form factors like a Neo remote or like an Oro in-wall user experience that these are game changers. And what we generally see is they'll get gobbled up and acquired. So with this, rather than these smart home pucks that were going dead a few years ago, uh, <clears throat> I, I feel like now we'll start to see Potentially, like if you look at like a brilliant, for example, um, Residio's gotten real cozy with that. You know, if they start to flag and have issues, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, somebody like a Residio takes advantage of that, does an acquisition, and now all of a sudden they own sort of household share where clearly they're monetizing that data somehow. So I think, I think as integrators, what do we do uh, besides learning things the hard way is 
hopefully we, we, we put it in ourselves, test it. And we just, we do a lot of waiting and we do a lot of uh, vetting and uh, just determine personal minimums for ourselves and say, Hey, we're, you know, we're willing to take on new lines um, if they meet certain criteria, selling margin, service, you know, the company's fundamentals are strong, but without a framework like that, uh, running a CI business, that's, um, that's going to bite sooner, sooner or later. Is there a concern that, and not just oral, but any, any of these cool startup companies, if you, if you were at Expo and you walk, you know, the used to be called uh, Innovation Alley and it's something else now, I don't remember. Um, but there's always some cool things. But every time I see one and look at it and go, oh, that's that's interesting. I'm, I bet they'll get acquired because it's, it's cool, but it doesn't have, may not have the legs to get there themselves. And it reminds me of some of the, the, the technology that gets promoted by companies like Google or Facebook or Amazon that come out with a huge splash and then die within a month. I, I saw something on one of the Cedia um, Facebook forums, um, I think two weeks ago about this like home conferencing pod that Google was flaunting. And somebody was like, oh, when are these going to make it into homes? And being the the highly positive person I am, I said, they will silently kill this in less than three years. Don't spend a dime on it. Um, is that a, is that a concern? Cause we, we've all bought into product lines that failed. How do you, how do you insulate yourself or how do you communicate with somebody when that happens? Being, being candid with clients never hurt anybody either. So it, if there's a, if there's a fit with the product, and for example, I mean, half the time taking on these extra lines, usually driven by some client that we think, uh, oh, we just got to have, it's a dream job and let's do it. But um, if we make the mistake of shouldering risk uh, or, or taking on risk where we, we can't control it and then not, not cluing the customer into that, I think we make, we make huge mistakes there versus if we get a call about a shiny object from a client, because that happens all the time, they read something in the Wall Street Journal, get the call. Really, what they've done is raised awareness. Hey, why don't we have one of these ring doorbell things? Hey, great. Let's talk about that. And then let's make make sure we pivot the conversation the right way. Um, but I think that when when we're when we're assuming risk that we have no business assuming and not transferring that risk back down to the customer and sense Okay, we've told you all these things could possibly happen. It could break, it could brick, it could turn into a paperweight. You're still okay with this. Great. Um, but I'd say more often than not, it's it's just down to a lot of us are out here selling not necessarily to win, but we're just we're playing not to lose. And that can get us in trouble because we can get over our skis and just say yes and nod. And we're just afraid to lose the job. And oh my gosh, you know, what if they go somewhere else? Yeah. So I, I feel like us as, as an industry, we can tend to not be confident and lean into the conversation because we're afraid that 
they might say no and they might reject us. And that can get us into trouble later because what starts off as an issue this big on paper, mm -hmm. then by the time we get into the field, turns into just, you know, nightmare scenarios. And we've, we've done some of these jobs or we've created those issues. We've taken over, thankfully, more of them than we've created. But it, it really all starts back at that design and engineering phase where we can panic in private and fail on paper. Yeah, that's a good point. Katie, I want your opinion on this, but I, I want to preface it with, with this aspect. The majority of times we talk about this, it's always that that startup or that DIY product um, or that generally accessible consumer tech product. But we've also seen it from major players in our industry. The one I always go back to because it affected me and, and our company was Crestron Prodigy. It was great on paper from a huge company and a bunch of people bought in and we had clients in the field that had it and then they canned it because it sucked <laughs> with all due respect to all our friends at Crestron. Um, but it was terrible. And then we had clients who are pissed at us because we sold them a product from a very well-established company that then just got canned. And we couldn't expand it. We couldn't grow it. All the things that we promised them because it was from this major company and it could be literally any company out there in, in our, in our business. I'm just picking on prodigy because it was fun. Um, or Adagio fit that bill too. Same, same era. Um, what do you do? How, how do you, how do you have that conversation with a client when you're the one who pushed this and you leveraged the 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 quality of the manufacturer to push it. So so I can answer this from a communicator's perspective. I am not answering from an integrator's no, perspective. No, we want the communication not, right? side. Yeah. Yeah. So so merely from a communications <laughs> standpoint, you know, it kind of the same thing that I preach it already done it once or twice here and that I that I do every time I come on is get in front of the conversation. Um, be transparent, be forthright. And, and, you know, I think that those are, those are three good tools to, to utilize any, any time with any product, any pitch, any customer. What I might also suggest is this might be something to take a look at your contracts and identify with your legal professional, whether it's fair and reasonable to put in a clause that a clause or a statement that essentially secures the point that you as the integrator are reselling somebody else's product. And therefore, you are bound by the limitations of being a reseller, um, and you are not in the engineering side. You are not responsible for the delivery, the design, or the or <laughs> or the productivity of the product as much as you would love to be. I think that there needs to be a really clean break between the integrator being on the line for a product that is no longer being supported versus a product that the integrator installed incorrectly and isn't working fun functioning properly. Right. You know, one of in yeah. one of those scenarios, the latter, it's it's on you on the former. It shouldn't be on you. So to me, it seems obvious that, you know, just again, from a communication standpoint that you you have clearly defined with your with your manufacturer partners or whoever you're sourcing from. Um, and really do take time to read that fine print. <laughs> Who holds the bag when a product is no longer supported by the manufacturer? And I think, you know, there's there's a bit of a precedent for this as new products coming to market, but there's an equal precedent for end of line scenarios as well. You know, and mm -hmm. even if it's the greatest product out there and it's been EOL'd after 10 years and it's still performing fine in the field with your client, 
you probably need to have something in place that says, but it is outside of our control at this point. And we do have recommendations for switching off of that to something that we can influence a better performance result day in and day out. Right. So, you know, I think there's, it's kind of different ways of looking at, at the scenario, but having, having something very much in place that protects you for the reseller of uh, somebody else's product that may or may not continue to be supported and, and to support your needs. I also think that's kind of important to have in place for your own protection as, as well. I mean, in order for you to go and continue to work on these products that are no longer supported, you're going to incur cost. So have that conversation up front and get that, you know, get that contractually established with new upstarts. You know, I think that it's just, it's just smart, you know, and don't, mm-hmm. don't turn away the the new product or, or the startup or the, you know, but protect yourself. Um, and I think both of you guys have said, Matt, you've got Oro in your house and, and Henry, you mentioned it too. I think, you know, definitely bringing this stuff home and taking it through it's <laughs> and through all of the routines and all of the complexities yeah. that it claims it's, it's capable of try for yourself and make sure that it really does live up to those promises, particularly if it's a new product and a new company. All right, let's wrap it there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Henry, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire or Paracel, where can they do that? Sure. Yeah, we're uh, we're online, getlivewire.com, getparasol.com. And then my, my handles are uh, at getlivewire and at getparasol and email or phone. Party on. It's great to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Katie, if people want to connect with you, learn more about KMB, where can they do that? Yeah. So if you're looking for KMB, look for KMB Communications all around the sphere. It's either KMB Communications all one or with an un- underscore between KMB and comms. Um, we're the one with Little Mountain. If you're looking for me, look for Katie McGregor Bennett um, or some variation thereof because, you know, in the middle there I got married and, uh, you know, I got three names. Let's deal with it. There you go. All right. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit TV, where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.